course of these past few months, I think we probably in humanity as people, as God's people, but all of humanity have probably asked more questions, thoughtful, thought-provoking questions about life, maybe than, than in any other time throughout human history. We've asked questions about the meaning and the purpose and the point of life. We've asked questions about what does all of this really truly mean? We've asked questions like, how in the world have we not solved some of these problems? We've asked these deep existential, if you will, questions about the meaning of life. And there's no other book, no other place in God's word where we can find that thought-provoking, those thought-provoking questions, like in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's week two of our series, Life in the Mist, and I want to welcome you, those of you who are in the room today. Thank you guys so much for being here. Thanks for being here. I, I'm so excited because Island Kids is now open, and uh, in our first service, we're really excited about that. Reopened it today. And I want to welcome those of you who are joining online. Thank you so much for those of you who are joining us online this morning as we take a walk through the book of Ecclesiastes, kind of section by section. And so if you have your Bibles, whether you're at home eating your waffles and having your coffee, um, or whether you're here in, in the house, I want to invite you to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter two, chapter 1 and chapter 2. And today we're coming to this part of this book where... Solomon, and through the teacher, as he calls him, we'll see that in a moment, begins to ask some of these questions about life. Now, uh, I, I want to encourage you this morning to stay with me, because if I'm really honest this morning, um, this, is, this has been an incredibly difficult uh, couple of chapters to study, because if you read Ecclesiastes, especially 1 and 2, in and of itself, with no context, with no understanding of where God is going, where the Holy Spirit is leading Solomon to lead us, I think you can come out of it a little bit depressed, to be quite honest with you. It's a little bit like maybe Charlie Brown wrote this. And uh, so I want to encourage you to stay with me. Because even though it's very hard to grasp, and even though Ecclesiastes is very hard to kind of grasp and, and, and bring simple principles to, I believe that even out of the gates right here in chapters 1 and 2, we're going to see some principles that you and I can live by when we're asking some of these difficult questions about life. So stay with me as we take a look at chapters 1 and 2 of Ecclesiastes. The other thing I want to mention before we dive in is I want to encourage you to read each section on your own. Read it on your own. We're not going to read every single verse. I'm going to take, uh, 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 you know, important verses and kind of highlight them, kind of allow them to, to rise to the top so that you can see the principle that Solomon is trying to highlight. Now, we're going to begin by talking about in chapter 1 how Solomon does two things, I believe, here. He gives an introduction and last week we talked about the context and the authorship and a bit of the date and time that it was written. But Solomon in chapter 1 gives a bit of an introduction. And, and we find out about five different facts or five different ideas that he's trying to communicate. 
And, and I'm going to go through this fairly quickly because I want to get to the meat of it, which really takes place in chapter 2. But I don't want you to miss the full context and the full meaning of this amazing book. First and foremost, fact number one, really, is we find out that um, King Solomon is the author, I believe, of Ecclesiastes. It's debated a little bit, and you can refer to last week's message. But right out of the gates, we see in Solomon 1.1 that he identifies himself as the son of David and the king of uh, Jerusalem. And he talks about that. And so we can take from that that Solomon was most likely the author of this book. And remember that Solomon is also the one that wrote the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs, this romantic letter to, uh, you know, his, uh, to his, the one that he loves. And in that, he's describing some of the wisdom of life as well. And he's talking about wisdom itself when he's describing the one that he loves. But he also writes Proverbs, which is very small bits of wisdom, and it's all throughout, and it's easy to read and understand and apply. Um, and so he takes this book to really dissect the meaning of life, what time is all about, kind of these more you know, existential things. And he seems to, and I want you to capture that, he seems to undo a little bit of what he does in Proverbs. But I think as we're going to see today and throughout the series, he doesn't really undo it. He just wants us to think deeper about it. He wants us to go to that next level and dig a little bit more about it. And so we find out that King Solomon is the author of Ecclesiastes. We find out that King Solomon quickly introduces us to this one called the teacher. Or in your Bibles, you might see it listed as preacher. Some call, it a, a call this, this uh, person that he uses. It's, it's kind of his uh, way of writing his words, but using someone else. Uh, and uh, he might, uh, some may call this person the critic. And, uh, but he quickly introduces us in verse 2 to the preacher or to the teacher who is the one that is giving this wisdom. It's a pseudonym, I guess you could say, kind of on behalf of King Solomon. The third fact is, is that Ecclesiastes is the teacher, and I refer to him as the teacher because I don't like the word preaching. I don't even like to call myself a preacher. When you guys say that I'm a preacher, I'm kind of like, oh, I'd rather be a teacher. And that's a whole other subject for another time. Uh, but I like to use the word teacher because he is teaching us. And so we find out that Ecclesiastes is the teacher's reflections on life later in his life. The teacher is giving us wisdom as he looks back on his life, as you'll see today. And so we have those couple of facts right out of the gates. But then, right out of the gates. But then Solomon also gives us some, some thoughts on life, general thoughts on life, right away in chapter 1, that I think kind of gives a summary of the whole book. It's almost like his poetic summary of the whole book. The first thought is that life is meaningless. Life is meaningless. Happy Sunday, everybody. Life is meaningless, right? Aren't you glad you came to church? And he comes right out of the gates, and he talks about life is meaningless. And in verse 2, we see it here, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2. He says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. And the word that he uses there is the word that we talked about last week that is a Hebrew word that uh, is a metaphor or a picture of what he's trying to talk about. It's a picture of life, and he uses it, and he's trying to communicate this idea that life is a mist or a fog or a vapor that is, uh, looks like it's formed and it looks like it's concrete, but when you go after it and you grasp it, it's gone in a heartbeat. And so he's trying to communicate that, and he uses this Hebrew word that the people of that day would have understood that life 
is meaningless. Tolstoy once wrote, the only absolute knowledge obtained by man is that life is meaningless. And I got to tell you, it's kind of interesting. I think Tolstoy got that from Solomon. I think he got it from the teacher. Life is meaningless. And so what's the point of all this? My goodness, this sounds incredibly depressing. Thought number two, I think, is is that um, we, we have to understand that Solomon, the teacher, is trying to communicate to us this way to get us to ask a question about life. And, and it's the question I think he wants us to ask in chapter one and throughout the book is that is, is what do we gain from life? What do we gain from life? We see that in verse three. When he writes, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Under the sun. And so I want you guys to, to, to understand and kind of pay attention to those, that phrase, under the sun, or beneath the sun. It's an important phrase, it's an important concept that we're going to wrap back around to. And so that's kind of the second thought. First and foremost is life is meaningless. Second thing is, is this question about life. What do we gain from life? The third thing is this, life is what it is. I think I've used that phrase twice already this morning. It is what it is. It is what it is. How many of you use that phrase occasionally? I first heard it from a boss years ago when he was mad at me, and I was apologizing, and he's like, it is what it is. It is what it is. And I, th I think he uh, cut my salary. It is what it is, right? So uh, we, we all have heard that phrase. Uh, I've gotten used to using that phrase a lot. It kind of summarizes when maybe we're frustrated or maybe it's just kind of like, yeah, what's happened is just okay. It's not great. It's not bad. It maybe it has some value but no value. And we summarize it with it, it is what it is. And I think that's what he's trying to communicate here in verse 9. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. And in fact, the fourth thought that I, I want to communicate to you here that he kind of describes in verses 4 through 11, and we're not going to take the time to read those verses, but he communicates a thought here today in verses 4 through 11 that life is just kind of boring, and some of you are like, not in 2020, it's not. It's not at all boring. It's not even close to being boring in 2020. But he communicates life is boring. He talks about how generations come and go and the wind blows. And sometimes it blows from this direction and that direction. And the seas, they flow into each other. And nothing really ever changes. Life is just kind of dull and kind of boring. And then last, the last thought that he communicates here in chapter 1 is this. Wisdom leads to sorrow and knowledge leads to grief. Once again, happy Sunday. But here's the thing. I don't know about you, but at this point in time, I'm asking this question. This is a guy who was inspired by God's Holy Spirit to write the book of Proverbs, which is full of wisdom, and to write this love letter to the one that he loves about wisdom, and then right out of the gates in Ecclesiastes, he says this in Ecclesiastes 1, verse 18. He says, for in much wisdom is much vexation. You gotta love that word. I love that word, right? For, with, for in much wisdom is vexation, or uh, for, uh, for with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. The more knowledge, the more grief. That's the NIV. And so he's essentially saying that wisdom leads to sorrow and knowledge leads 
to grief. How in the world can the one who wrote the book of Proverbs be asking that question? And I want you to hear this. It's because he's writing this from the perspective of being at the end of his life, and he's looking back on his life, and he's evaluating all the good and all the bad of life, all of the evil and all of the good of life, all of the ups and all of the downs of life. And he's essentially saying that, you know what, it really leads to meaninglessness and it leads to, to, to an end here. And he's essentially setting us up for the question, which is the title of today's message, which is what does it all mean? What does all of this mean? question that a lot of people are asking right now in this very strange, unusual, mask-filled, controversy-filled, violent year. We're asking this question, what does it all mean? What does it all mean? And so he takes chapter 2, and he takes this question of what does it all mean? What does life mean? And he uses kind of a litmus test. He takes this idea of meaning, and he tests it against three things that we would typically value in life. And he tests life, life's meaning against three things. And I want you to take a look at these three things. The first one that he tests life against is the idea of pleasure. The idea of pleasure. And here's the principle that he's talking about. Here's the principle that he wants us to capture is, is that we will not find the meaning of life from attaining or enjoying pleasure. Now what Solomon does in verses 1 through 11 is he essentially lists some of the ways that he finds pleasure. And I want you right now to just pause for a moment. I want you to think in your mind some of the things that you strive after to find pleasure in life. Be honest, you and God, you, you that are home, you that are here in the house. Just think about that for a moment. Put that in your mind because that's what Solomon does here. Is he gives a list of the things that he has found pleasure in looking back on his life. And in the list, he, he says that he experimented in finding the meaning of life. And I want you to capture that because what he doesn't do is he doesn't say that pleasure is wrong or that pleasure is meaningless. He's saying to find the meaning of life in pleasure is not the way we should go. And he tested against this and he says, in my life, I tried to find the meaning of life from seeking pleasure and laughter itself from searching for happiness with wisdom. And he actually says in verses 1 through 11, wisdom and wine mixed together, which I think is kind of comical. He's like, I just have to mix wine in with trying to find wisdom because maybe that would help me to find wisdom. And he says that's meaningless. He talks about how he built great houses and gardens and parks and pools. He talks about how he purchased people. Remember last week we talked about how Solomon was probably had some pretty narcissistic ten tendencies and that he was a collector of people and how he collected people and he had slaves and slave families that helped him do all these things, acquiring herds and flocks and livestock, gathering silver, gold, and treasures of kings. He collected singers and entertainers 
and concubines, and we talked about his 1,000 wives and concubines last week. So this man tried to find pleasure from every corner of the world, and he experimented with all of it. And he says in Ecclesiastes 2, 10 and 11, he says this, And whatever my eyes desired, he said, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all of my toil. And this was my reward for all of my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it. And I want to come back to that concept in a minute. And behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. And so I want you to hear this morning that we, you and I, we cannot find the meaning of life through searching out or trying to attain pleasure. We will, we will try to do that, we will attain it, we will strive for it, and we will in the end come up empty. I might have already told the story, but a few years ago, actually it was last year, Maurice, who's um, really the, the guy who's on the ground in Nairobi, Kenya with our partner, No Hungry Children. And Maurice is a, a Kenyan national, um, amazing man of God, incredible, hardworking man of God. And uh, he feeds the kids in these schools that we support as a church and that we partner with. And he's the one that has a team of people, most of whom are volunteers, who gets the grain and the beans and everything to um, the rice and the beans and everything to the schools so that they can cook for these kids that are just amazing. And Maurice, I drove him around Hilton Head Island um, for about two days. And, and, and he, if you remember, he was here and he preached. And just an amazing guy. I loved getting to know him here out outside of, of Kenya. And after about two days of driving around Hilton Head, he looked at me and he said, so let me understand, Pastor Todd. Hilton Head Island is all about relaxation and recreation. And I went, yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> I think you're right. I mean, that was the impression that he got. And listen, I want you to know that it doesn't matter where we, we live, whether we live in Hilton Head Island or whether, you know, you're listening and you're from a city somewhere or you may be from even another country somewhere. Our whole, our lives, especially in the Western world, are built towards that end. What does the song say? We're just waiting for the weekend. We're waiting to attain that pleasure. We're waiting to attain that break. And I think... Even Christ followers, myself even, we fall into that trap of striving after pleasure. But then he tests the meaning of life against something else, and that is wisdom. He alluded to it in chapter 1, and in chapter 1 there he alluded to it, and he essentially says that wisdom and seeking after wisdom is meaningless. points out that there is some redeeming value in wisdom. He goes into this long explanation in verses 12 through 17, and right in the midst of that, he says that there is one thing that is redeeming about wisdom is, is that wisdom is better than folly. In verse 13, he mentions that. But he essentially comes to the conclusion that we will not find the meaning of life from attaining wisdom. 
The meaning of life will not come from pleasure, nor will it come from wisdom itself. It won't come from wisdom itself. Now, I realize that some of you are skeptical at this point. Some of you Bible scholars are going, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. How's this possible? Hang on, hang on, hang on. He brings it back around. He brings it back around. And in the midst of it, he does say that, that uh, wisdom is better than folly. He goes on to talk about those who attain folly and those who attain wisdom. They both end up in the same place. And that is, at the end of their lives, they're dead. They end up with the same conclusion, the same result, and that's death. So why does it matter? He's asking a a question I think is legitimate to ask, but I also think that he's trying to communicate this principle that we won't find the meaning of life from attaining wisdom by itself. Verse 15 of Ecclesiastes 2, Solomon writes this, the teacher writes this, then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Remember, he wrote Proverbs. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. It's vanity. Hevla. Chasing after something that's not concrete. And then he tests the meaning of life against a third thing. And I think this is probably the thing that connects with most of us. This is the thing where most of us may find, in addition to pleasure, we may try and strive to find the meaning of life. And that is is in work, work, work. There's a great scene in... The movie, it's a favorite of mine and Cynthia's, Sleepless in Seattle, where Tom Hanks' character has just lost his wife, and everyone's giving, him, everyone's giving him all kind of wisdom, and this is what you should do, and this is what you should do, and this is what you should do. And he pulls out a dozen cards, and it's all the names of counselors and therapists, and he lists them off, and he throws them down, and he says, but work, work will save me. I've bought into that before. I've bought into that before. And I know that some of you who live in Hilton Head Island have bought into that before because to attain the pleasure, to attain the recreation and relaxation that comes especially with living here, at some point in time, we have bought into the lie that says work will save us. Demonstrating that we're finding the meaning of life in work and the gain that comes from it. And in chapter 2, verses 18 through 23, he talks about toiling, and he uses the phrase under the sun or beneath the sun a few different times. And he comes to the conclusion, and that's our third principle, that we will not find the meaning of life from work or its gain. We won't find the meaning of life from work or its gain, the results of that work. In verse 22 and 23, he says this, What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For his days are full of sorrow and his work 
is a vexation. There's that word again in the, in the ESV, in the English Standard uh, uh, Translation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. I want to stop there for a moment. I want to stop there for a moment. How many of you have trouble sleeping? I'm raising my hand. How many of you have trouble sleeping? Man. I mean, this hit me so hard when I read this. That King Solomon, the one that had attained all of the wealth and all of these things, all this pleasure, all this treasure, all the wisdom, even he, he he didn't have anything to worry about. And essentially he's saying here, I can't sleep. My mind never stops. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. And he says, this also is vanity. This also is vanity. And so he says to us, and I believe the lesson that we should learn is that seeking after pleasure, seeking after wisdom, seeking after work, all of those things by themselves only leads to despair. Seeking after those things, and it's interesting that he levels the playing field of work and pleasure with wisdom. I mean, wisdom is something to attain, right? Isn't that what I'm supposed to say? Isn't that the Sunday school, Sunday morning worship service answer? It's something to attain, but he puts them all together and he groups them all together. Seeking after pleasure and wisdom and work to find meaning leads only to despair. He says this in Ecclesiastes 2, 17 through 18 in verse 20. He says, so I hated life. I hated life. Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. It was grievous to me for all is vanity and is striving after wind. I hated all my toil, he says, in which I toil under the sun. There's that phrase. Seeing that I must leave it to the man who, come, who came after me, who comes after me. So I turned about and I gave my heart up to despair. Gave my heart up to despair over all of the toil of my labors under the sun. Okay, the dude is in serious depression. That's okay to say that. King Solomon, the man that was chosen by God to lead the nation, who's writing kind of under the pseudonym, the teacher, is in, I don't have to be a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a counselor or even a pastor, which I'm only one of those things, to understand that this guy is going through clinical depression because he's looking back on his life and he's saying, what was it all worth? But here's what he understands. He understands that there is a resolution in life. That there is a resolution in life. And I want you to notice that he uses the phrase under the sun or beneath the sun. He uses that phrase in two chapters, in chapter one and chapter two. He uses that phrase, one of those two phrases, he uses it 10 different times. He uses it 10 different times, that one phrase. And so church, here's what I want you to hear is that what Solomon is talking about is he's saying that pleasure isn't wrong in and of itself. 
that wisdom isn't wrong in and of itself, that toil or work isn't wrong in and of itself, but trying to do that under the sun, beneath the sun, is something that we will never be fulfilled. We will try and try and try to find satisfaction and fulfillment in that, and we never will. And the phrase under the sun, I believe, is his little nod, his little poetic words or phrase for saying, apart from God, this is all meaningless. Because he brings this kind of seemingly like Eeyore or Charlie Brown wrote it or maybe Nietzsche wrote it. Like he, he like describes this in such a way that by the end of reading it, you're like, what in the world, man? This is like my philosophy, college philosophy classes. I'm not digging this at all. This is so depressing. But he understands that all of those things can drive to the meaning of life with God. But apart from God, None of it, none of it, none of it helps us understand the meaning of life. Listen, I want you to hear, church, today that from Ecclesiastes, from life in the mist, from Ecclesiastes 1 and 2, that we will never find the meaning of life striving after anything apart from God. We will never find anything, anything about the meaning of life striving for anything, whether it's work, whether it's pleasure, whether it's wealth, or our kids, which some of us strive so hard to find the meaning of life from our kids. That's why they should get all the trophies. That's why they're the best. They're better than anyone else, better than all the rest. I'm quoting 80 songs all over the place today. All right, so, like we strive after so much to find the meaning of life, and Solomon is saying if we strive after anything to find the meaning of life under the sun, we won't ever find it. We won't ever find it. Apart from God, there is no legitimate, significant meaning of life. Ecclesiastes 2, 24 and 25. I think he brings it to some sort of conclusion. He brings this, this, these couple chapters that seem so depressing and so, so, you know, kind of discouraging. He brings it to a conclusion here. He says, there is nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil or work. This, is, this also, I saw, is, is from the hand of God. This also I saw is from the hand of God. And then he says, for apart from God, apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? So my question for you today, I hope you've stayed with me. I hope those of you who are watching online have stayed this far, and I promise we're gonna bring it to a close in a moment. But I, but I, want, you to ask, I want you to answer this question honestly. Are you striving for the meaning of life? Are you striving for it in something that's under the sun? Or are you truly seeking out the meaning of life, the purpose in life, the significance of life with the one who's above the sun, with him, the creator of heavens and earth? 
the one that created the pleasure that we find, the one that created the toil which we have to work, the one that created and gave us and imparted to us, and by the way, gives us the Holy Spirit that helps us understand the wisdom of life, because with him, we can find the meaning of life, but without him, we never will. And I realize that right now, some of you are saying, you know what, Todd, I, I have, I, I've never had God. Never had God. I feel like I've got a pretty good grasp on the meaning of life. Maybe. But maybe it's hollow. Maybe it's shallow. Maybe it's just an inch deep. Maybe you're here today and you found God, whether weeks or months or years ago or decades ago, you accepted Jesus as your Savior and you had this amazing experience and, and you, you, you learned what life is with God, but over time you've, you've kind of you know, begun to kind of put him on the shelf. Just put him right up there and just keep him there. If you need him one day, you'll get back to him and you've lived your life trying to strive after Work and money and wealth and riches and significance and meaning and pleasure or in work or in some sort of wisdom. But you've done it apart from God. And maybe, yes, you're saved. You're going to heaven. But maybe you've just drifted away from him a little bit. I know because I've done that. I have been there. See, I think we can very easily, Christ follower, listen, I want you to hear this today. I think we can very easily lose our perspective if we decide that we're going to put God on the shelf and come back to him when we need him. Because that's not living life or trying to find the meaning of life with him. That's doing it apart from him. That's living life with trying to strive after meaning under the sun, not above the sun, not with him. Bible says that we should seek first, Jesus said we should seek first the kingdom of God and then all of these things will be added to us. And my prayer for those of you who are listening in or watching or here in this house and you've never accepted Jesus as your savior, I promise you you're living your life trying to find meaning apart from God. And you may find meaning temporarily you may find it at a time or a moment or in a season, but at some point in time, maybe during a crisis or maybe during a period of time when you become despondent or are in despair, you start really thinking about some of these things that Solomon is leading us to. And maybe you will struggle with the meaning of life, and I want you to know that you can find that meaning with and the key to that is finding it through his son, Jesus, who came to die for our sins so that we can have eternal life one day when we die. My prayer is, is for those of you who have never found God, that you would find him today and that you would accept him today as your savior. But Christ follower, listen, don't be lulled into the trap of, of thinking that like we've got this all made. Because we can very quickly and very easily drift apart from him and all of a sudden now we're struggling to find the meaning of life because we are apart from god and so today is really a message for both of those of you who may be listening who don't know god you've never really been with god 
and for those of you who have been and maybe you've drifted. My prayer, my hope is, is that you would understand that finding meaning and significance and purpose and pleasure and fulfillment in life doesn't come from anything directly that's here under the sun, but it comes from living a life connected with the one who created it. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, right now in the strong name of Jesus, I just pray for those who may be listening, who may be watching who may even be in this room, who have asked some of these difficult questions in the past. And they've wondered in the past, what is life all about? And Father, right now, in the strong name of Jesus, I pray for those who have lived their life apart from you, trying to find meaning in pleasure, trying to find meaning in wisdom that the world gives and kind of the the common sense of the world or the philosophy of the world, the conventional wisdom of the day. Or maybe they've tried to find the meaning of life through work or the, the gain that comes from hard work. Father, I pray for those who have never met you. God, I pray right now that they would put their faith in you. If you're here in this room today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, I want to encourage you to begin to live life beyond the Son and with the Son, S-O-N, the Son of God. I want to encourage you to make Him your Savior, to live life with God so that you can find true meaning and purpose. Those of you who are listening or watching online, I want to encourage you who have never put your faith in Jesus, that is the way to God. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And anyone who comes to me will have eternal life. And today, if you want to give your life to Jesus, if you want to begin to live your life with God, I want to encourage you to do that if you've never done that before. And I'm going to pray a prayer out loud, and I want to encourage you to pray it, just you and God, just in the quietness of this moment. It's a prayer that goes something like this. God, thank you for making me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. Right now, I choose to live life with you by accepting your son to be my savior. Help me now, God, to live life and find its meaning with you. If you pray that prayer and you're in this room, I'm just gonna ask you right now, to, and everyone's head is bowed and eyes are closed, I'm just gonna ask you to raise your hand. If you prayed that prayer along with me, I'd love to pray for you. I won't embarrass you or anything like that. I just wanna pray for you. If you're at home, I want you guys can put your hands down. Thank you so much. If you're at home and you prayed that prayer along with me, um, I want to encourage you to let us know about it. If you're watching on Facebook, I want to encourage you to um, just uh, direct message us. Let us know about your decision so that we can have one of our pastors follow up with you. If you're watching on our website, email us at info at hiltonheadislandcc.org so that we can have record of your decision and follow up you, with you as well. If you're here in this room today, please let me know um, about your decision. Let one of our pastors know about that decision. 
for those of you who are already Christ followers, and if you were really honest with yourself, you'd say, you know, I've been really striving to find the meaning of life through my own means. I've kind of put God on the shelf for a while. Man, I want to encourage you. There is no better time and there is no better guide to figuring out life than living it with him. And in the quietness of this room right now and wherever you are, if you're at home, I want to encourage you to just evaluate your life for a moment. And if you've been living life with God on the shelf, in the background, on your own, I want to encourage you today to stop that mess. I want to encourage you to re-engage with him. And if you feel like you need to go back to the shelf right now, and you need to, to grasp life with God once again, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer along with me. God, I met you years ago, months ago or weeks ago, but I have begun to live life by myself seeking my own pleasure, my own profit, my own wisdom. And today I wanna recommit my life. I wanna begin to live for you. And if you prayed that prayer, please let us know. Once again, DM us, if direct message us if you recommitted your life to him today or if you, for the first time, prayed that prayer of salvation in this room, please let me know about that. If you made that decision, let one of our pastors know about that. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to read your word, a passage that may be difficult to understand, may be difficult to grasp, but Holy Spirit, thank you for leading us this morning. And Father, I pray that you would be with everyone who made these amazing decisions, this decision. It really is a decision to go from darkness to light and death to life and from hell to heaven. I thank you for those first-time salvation decisions. And I pray that you would help anchor them to you and a church that teaches your word. And Father, I pray for the the Christ follower who recommitted their life to you today, who got back living life, finding its meaning from you. I pray that you would anchor them to you. You would help them never to put you on the shelf again, but to live for you. Father, I thank you for this morning. And I thank you for your word. I thank you for leading and guiding. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.